0: AI can find out information that it shouldn't. You have to really actively understand, are you pulling in information that would be an illegal bias? So it's one of the things you just have to keep
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, dedicated to insurance innovation. So, I am glad to have Nick Limer. He's a returning guest to the podcast, and it's a, you know really exciting to see um, a lot of what's been going on and hear Nick's perspective about what's been happening over the last uh, year or so since he's been on the podcast. Um, now, Nick is the principal industry lead for Azure um, for insurance at Microsoft. And, uh, you know, he definitely brings a lot to the table in terms of how that capability can be leveraged in insurance, um, but just also in general around um, technology and capabilities for the space as well. So, Nick, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the podcast.
0: Oh, it's great to be here. I always find your podcast
1: really interesting and enjoy listening to them. Awesome, awesome. So, hey, you know, as as you and I quickly spoke um, uh, just about a month or so ago, you mentioned that there has been some things that's been playing out in the the space that that you're in. That that's uh, somewhat of a change that you've seen over the last year or so. But but even before we get into that, you know, there's been so many new listeners that uh, that's come to the podcast, and and I'd love if you wouldn't mind taking an opportunity to talk about yourself and also what you do.
0: Okay. Um, so, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm Nick Limer and the principal, uh, project manager lead for, uh, insurance within Microsoft. Uh, I always tell you that we're not getting into the insurance business, business, we're not selling insurance. We are a platform company and my role in Microsoft is really to bring my 20 plus years of experience working with insurance companies and in developing actuarial software and modeling systems, um, to make sure that Microsoft has the platform and tools um, and partners to really deliver useful uh, solutions to our insurance customers. Um, so I'm, my role is really more almost now most, almost completely focused at the sort of par- the partner ecosystem and making sure those partners that are delivering solutions to insurance companies um, are using the newest technologies available within Microsoft. Uh, running on Azure, definitely, um, and using our full technology stack and um, being available their solutions being available on our new and expanded marketplace. So that's that's the big driver uh, going forward is really have building out that ecosystem where uh, insurance companies can buy all their cloud solutions, their different tooling and all these partner solutions, both ones directly from Microsoft or from our partners. Um, and do it as seamlessly as possible.
1: Yeah. So, so Nick, you know, when when the the person, let's say, outside of the insurance industry, hears Microsoft. I got to tell you, I don't know if they connect the dots between um, a company like Microsoft and insurance, even though, of course, Microsoft works across a multitude of industries. So I I do want to um, talk a little bit about the um, the new marketplace that that you mentioned. But if you wouldn't mind, help us put that two and two together of Microsoft and insurance and the why behind, um, you know, uh, Microsoft coming into this space, which I know they've been around for quite some time in this segment.
0: It's you know we've been around for a long time, and um, I think people are so used to seeing Microsoft, um, they almost can become blind to it. Um, but it's not just the operating system; it's not the computer that you're working on. If you're using one of our our hardware, um, but it's Excel, it's Word, it's Office, it's you know Dynamics. Um, you know Office three sixty five is running on our cloud. Ah, uh, Dynamics is running on our cloud, and then we have Azure, which is know enterprise-level you know, enterprise level, you know uh, cloud uh, leader uh, for businesses in globally. Really, it's a, um and they all pe- all the pieces tie together. So as we're you know our huge sales team, we have globally that's interacting with every type of company and insurance company as well. Um, you know, we're selling things from you know surfaces, surface hubs. So all the sort of hardware. Uh, computer hardware that people use on their desktops to office 365 and dynamics and so these other tools and teams and all the different pieces that um, we are selling we're also um, at that same time looking at how can we better support our customers in this case insurance customers so there's a lot of third party tools that we want to make sure that's available and running on our platform and can fully integrate with Um, Office 365, Dynamics, um, and run on the Azure Cloud. So it's really trying to make the end-to-end solution. So um, every solution that can run can leverage uh, uh, our BI tools as well as uh, all these underlying technology stacks from facial recognition to voice recognition, text, and all these other different pieces that people can pull into existing applications or just sort of layer them on so that's kind of the whole idea is um we're not going to sell insurance but we'll make all the the platform tools that your software can run on either stuff you build yourself um leveraging whatever technology stack you'd like Um, a lot of insurance companies are mixing um, things running on uh, aws um, with you know things that are running on azure or running on premises we have you know tools that can help integrate all those different pieces
1: yeah yeah and and um uh, you know it's it's interesting because recently you know i've been seeing a lot you know some press releases from some of the partners that will um or that that, that you all are engaging with as a part of your ecosystem and um and you know you and i as, as we were um, just preparing this conversation and talking just uh, beforehand We were talking about, you know, some of what we're seeing even uh, globally when it comes to um, an ecosystem, sort of an environment, right, as you're looking at the overall risk profile and what the, the vision is for that potential customer, um, and then what capabilities are, are, are leveraged to provide that, right? So, you know, I, I guess my question for you, Nick, is as we look at the new marketplace and the partners that you all are engaging with, um, I'm, I'm making an assumption that you all are doing everything that uh, you would expect to enable um you know, a, a broader market ecosystem within the, the 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 marketplace that you all have designed and rolled out. So talk to me a little bit about um you know what that marketplace is and how it's enabling the industry globally.
0: Okay. so um, hopefully people are, are aware. Um, so we have a marketplace and we have two different storefronts, one's called marketplace, one's called app source, where you can, and one's you know really designed, to focus on the IT side and one's more on the business decision maker side. In both cases, you can go actively purchase software that can run um, in the Azure environment. So um, so if people have an active subscription, they wanna add different functionality, um, from an actuarial piece of software to um, more data storage, et cetera, all those different pieces you can start layering on. And the idea is to really make that as seamless and as low touch as possible Um, and the the real advantage is uh, from the partner side is they can transact on that marketplace as well so instead of having to set up separate accounts and 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 policies for each um, company that you're working with you could have leveraged the accounts that are already set up through microsoft and then um, it just transacts through microsoft so that's the real big benefits, especially for startups, it gives them the ability to, again, to get started right away. And there's lots of different levels and different billing packages and how that's actually transacted to the different Microsoft customers through our marketplace. So it really kind of builds out the whole system. And as we're working with partners and other customers, you know, we realize that those partners don't have to be completely on Azure. In fact, there are certain things that we sell in our marketplace that are running on AWS, uh, but they are critical to our customers. So um, we can work with that. So there's lots of, lots of flexibility, and we're constantly updating, evolving um, how we're using that marketplace. Uh, but it's, again, it's something that's growing. We see that as the, the future, and we're trying to be able to supply uh, our customers with everything they need and be able to transact seamlessly through that. The marketplace.
1: Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense, right? Um, and, of course, uh, the goal would always be, and, and should always be, to try to meet the customer where they are irrespective of what platform they're on. So to the point that you made AWS, Um, could be where others are on or whatever else might be out there, but, but having the ability to service that customer where they are becomes really important. Now, you know, what, what that, um, brings to mind to me is, you know, that this concept of digital stewardship, right? Just, just given the fact that, um, you're um, enabling partnerships with organizations um, through the marketplace. You're um, allowing, you know, pairings with other organizations that also have similar capabilities. Um, you know, you're you're onboarding and you're intaking um, a lot of customer data. Um and um and, and you're doing it globally in a space that regular that the regulatory environment is different depending upon where it is. You know, so I, I wonder, Nick, you know, when you hear digital stewardship, you've personally been um you know uh talking a lot and, and, and you've written um on this topic yourself. So what exactly does digital stewardship mean to you? Um and um and what should folks in the insurance industry take away from that given all of the things that's playing out like digital transformation and, and those things?
0: Well, I, I think this goes back to, you know, understanding where your data is now and um, and how you can be prepared for the current regulations and future regulations. Um, we're still, Microsoft is still the only current cloud provider that's uh, completely uh, 100% uh, GDPR compliant globally. So we have that capability for everything that we do. Um, and that's something we drive home, you know, even if we're not, if we're, our clients in the U S we make sure we have that capability as well, that we can, um, you know, enforce those, uh, you know, regulations and restrictions on way data is stored and the and ability to be unknown and those sorts of things that um, even though there are certain areas of the world that are not covered by that, um, you know, we're sort of leading the the push to make sure that we we already have complete coverage. We want to make sure that every interaction that we do and our partners are, you know, following that same guidance just because it's, we see that as something that if it's not in place now, will be. Um, and we're seeing some of the changes in, in California, for example, that are pushing new privacy regulations as well. So it's, it's critical that people think about that, think about data security, um, and know you know, know where their data is. Um, and that's one of the things that really pushes sort of our expansion into um, additional geographic areas, because there's a lot globally, you think about um, a lot of countries are, uh, I- you know, implementing, you know, they can, they can take the data, for example, outside of the country and, and having worked for uh, some global insurance companies, we're very conscious of that, of what data had to stay in very specific countries in China, for example, or Indonesia, even in for Canada, we could We could take Canadian data, we could take U.S. data and move to Canada. We couldn't take Canadian data and move it back to the U.S. So we were very um, aware of data uh, sovereignty issues. And that's one of the things that Microsoft is is leading leading the way because we have so many different data centers and those are expanding. Uh, We're expanding in, in the Middle East and in Africa as well, really to help both have better performance and addresses data sovereignty issues so that people can move data to the cloud without having to move it out of the country.
1: Now, now, Nick, when you say data, you know, um, I, I look at and I, and I think of, Quite a bit of things, right? So, for example, um, there's an organization that you're really familiar with that's leveraging Microsoft solutions. Um, It's an IOT wearables organization, make you safe, right? Um, And the type of data that that's being collected from that organization um, is employee data in terms of, um, you know, what could potentially be um, leading towards more frequency in injury to workers and claims in manufacturing facilities and so on, right? Now, with that said, that's different than other types of data like PHI or PII or, 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 or I'm sorry, personally identifiable um, health information or um, uh, personally identifiable information for those out there that don't know what that is um, and, 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 and so on, right? Um, and then, of course, there's customer data from other organizations and um, data on employee and data, um, you know, within the the enterprise and and so on, right? So when you say data, are you encompassing all of those things under that umbrella first? Um, And then, you know, even a little bit further, um, you know, from the capabilities that you all have designed in Microsoft, um, what exactly are you all doing to assist the customers and the partners that you all are engaging with? to ensure that they do understand what data truly is and what the regulatory environment is, depending on the country that you're in.
0: Yeah, I I think it's critical. We supply the tools and we work with partners that have very specific solutions to meet um, those regulatory uh, restrictions in different geographical areas. Um, You know, we have a wide range of of certifications for from a security perspective to meet those personal identifiable information restrictions on how that is being used and then the the whole sort of HIPAA the healthcare uh, regulations one of the problems that we as we're collecting all this information from you know for example IoT sensors a lot of times a lot of that stuff gets sort of mixed together you think about wearable devices a uh, Fitbit an Apple Watch so that's direct health information about your heart rate your sleep sleep patterns, where you physically are 24-7, on, you know, on the job, off the job, how do you handle that information and how much you want to be able to share, pull that information from your employees. Um, it, it gets to be a slippery slope. And then, um, uh, you know, I think one of the things, as we're talking with insurance companies, it becomes clear that it gets kind of messy. And it's that's where a lot of times we... Companies are leveraging partners to to generate a score for insurance companies based on you know information that's only obtained in very specific locations and restricted to um, information that that would uh, that they can use for a risk determination you know, either on the job or an overall health score so the only information that the insurance companies are getting is that score number and then the 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 really much more personal information about their heart rate, their sleep rate, things that would be helpful that people are sharing to get to be happier and live healthier. That's all good things, but you want to make sure that same information isn't necessarily shared with your employer. It's like, okay, Oh, he was out late last night and went to these five bars. I mean that kind of information could be captured from your phone, but you don't necessarily want to share that information. And right now I think people a lot of, especially younger people, are unwittingly sharing that information um, with everyone. Um, and your phone is this supercomputer that's capturing everything that you do and where you are, and it's with you all the time. And if you share that information out to everyone, um, you know it's it's one of the things that it's a great tool to get lots of information and can do lots of things for you. Um, and again, I guess one of those things that people really need to sort of, uh, think about from a data perspective. Um, cause it, again, it's a fantastic tool and everyone has it. Um, and that is becoming the key source for risk information from driving behavior to, you know, what you do on the job, et cetera, cause your phone is with you all the time. Um, and how much of that information you share. So that's one of those things that's, um, I think when people think about data and they think about what data they want to capture, it's really, there's so much more that that's out there that's coming to them without really trying to to go find it. And you have to sort of filter and say, okay, I don't ever want to capture information about X, Y, and Z. I want to make sure that if that information is at some point is useful, I want someone else to sort of generate a score and I only capture the score and let that partner capture that information and have the direct relationship with the um the customer the person the customer insurance customer for example um it's it, it's it's kind of can be a slippery slope and i think that's something that people need to be aware of um but there are a lot of really great use cases from an insurance perspective on where you can capture key information um about what's happening before a traffic accident what happens you know during that accident and after and all that information can be captured by your phone and any other you know health related things as well. So it's, there's a lot of things that could be really useful to look and mine that data. Um, but you really, again, it's, it's how do you decide this information is what's useful and needed and I can really use it without getting more information than I need. Um, again, unless we're, a lot of companies are, instead of trying to absorb everything, let's put things a little bit at arm's risk arm's length and go, okay, I want someone else to generate a risk score, um, and then they can capture and filter that and interact directly with the customer, and we get a score back that tells us everything that we need to know, and then we can sort of build our models with that that piece of information. Um, and then there are other art entities and organizations that are modeling, taking all that information and building models and then finding out which is the key piece, and they can sort of nom- um make that information less specific to people without losing the uh, the granularity that's needed to build the model. So, um, and we're working with some companies that actually have a whole process of doing that to take data from lots of different companies and group it all together, but mix and pull it as, uh, as a synthetic data um, so people can build all their models against it without really having to worry about personal information and, and health information. But it has that granularity that can be, super helpful for modeling.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, a- absolutely. And um, and honestly, when, when you look at the type of data that's being collected across the board, and I know we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but it, it's just coming from many places, right? And there are organizations that are going to want to do something with it. Um, there are organizations that's not going to really uh, care too much about the data. And to your point, is going to really want to understand more of the the outcomes from that so if there's a, a risk score or if there's a severity score or, or something like that that that's playing out and, and you're actually starting to see a lot of that play out in the in the world of cyber insurance where you know organizations are, are looking at all of the different facets of security data and access and, and those things um, and then insurance companies are hoping to be able to use that um, in order to provide um, a, a score to, to, to appropriately price or accept the risk based on the cyber complexity Now, with that said, you know, there are a lot of states that are beginning to limit it that are beginning to limit how the data could be used and if it could be used in things like pricing at all. Right. So um, I I wonder, Nick, how do you get over that with some of the regulatory um, limitations? When you start to look at the world of insurance and do you think there are other ways for those organizations to leverage the same data knowing that they could, um, you know, um, use it, uh, use the the. the, the Necessary technology to synthesize the information, but you know, outside of um, areas where the regular, where, where the regulators limit the ability to use it, do you think there might be other things that can be done with the with the information to help that organization better understand the customer?
0: I think there's really two aspects. There's regulatory on what you can use to set pricing and some general risk information, and then there are information that especially third parties can use for, say, life coaching and business coaching to identify risk to improve uh, people's health and worker safety and um, information that would help benefit a company that maybe isn't related to insurance. Um, And then that's something that we're seeing, too, is that line between this is risk mitigation. This is a security service. This is a life coaching service. That, you know, there's an insurance benefit to that. In that, if, if if people go through these different processes, they have a they live longer, live happier, they're more productive, their company is safer. Um, again, that's where that scoring piece can be helpful because all you know we want to know as an insurer that these people are doing or indices or you know cars for that matter are behaving in a way that is reducing their risk but do we want to capture their information when they went to the grocery store or um you know you know what location they went to at what time no we just want to be able to have a score that said they drove in a in the, in a safe area that they drove, uh, responsibly, they didn't s- speed up or, you know, don't exceed the speed limit. They didn't stop too quickly, those sorts of things. But you know, your phone is capturing all that information right now and can exactly where you are as well as how you drove. And it's really, you know, what's important to the insurance company is really, um, what the risk score is. So if we can keep that at a, at a distance and filter out the information that's um, not needed, that's beneficial for everyone. Um, and then the, you know, the customer can get information that is beneficial, that maybe doesn't impact their insurance, but it would benefit their life and safety. Um, so, you know, we'd let them know if they slept enough or within a certain, um, range and this is impacting your health and let them know that without necessarily sharing that information beyond, um, that third party and the customer. So uh, it's really how do you separate that data? That's something people are aware of. And the other key piece uh, that I think people are more and more people are aware of, it's come up in lots of different uh, events that I've been to and I'm talking with partners. It's really AI can find out information that it shouldn't. You have to really actively understand, are you c- pulling in information that would be um would be an illegal bias. Um, so it's one of the things you just have to keep checking and working. And a lot of the companies that are supplying uh, AI models are aware of this and adding the sort of a transparency level of, okay, this is the information. These are the key things that we're looking at. And we are, and you can take things out that, you know, okay, oh, that's that's pulling up something that's uh, using bias data. Let's not use that um, so that we can keep it within the regulations. And you can actively show the regulators that, you know, these are the things we turned off that we saw that we can't use, uh, and these are the things that are we're using in our model that are uh, verified that they are uh, appropriate things to build our, our model and our risk and uh, you know risk calculations and pricing
1: yeah, you know that that's actually been a significant topic recently, right especially in um, leveraging um, data that could inherently create bias uh, in the models that that have been designed and developed. Um, and you know i I, I think um, you know as, as conversations that I've been having about it recently um it, it it becomes somewhat challenging, right because not because there could be data that's uh creating bias um, that is uh, visible that, that folks could potentially understand based on what was picked up. But then there can be inherent bias um, uh, in that data that's not visible to the individual that's potentially putting it into the model. Um, You know, based on what they understand from their backgrounds, their history um, and and so on and so forth. Right. Um, and, And as as I look out into this space, there's not really one good model or a platform or a capability to weed out that bias. So the best. Um way to do that is still really non-technical. it's it's through using a human to to try to do that. Um, you know so are are you seeing that? um and um you know from that vantage point, how do you how do you tackle that issue as you start to to feed those models with 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 that type of data?
0: yeah it's it's gonna be difficult. Um, if you are Pricing just-in-time insurance is an example of you capture all this information about a very specific person, entity at a very specific time, and you generate a price for that insurance with all the information you have available, um, you know, where they are. And, and it's going to be different for each person in every location um, to prove that you didn't use information that you shouldn't have. It's just it's going to be very difficult, I think. And that's where um, I've been in discussions or listened to discussions at the NAIC where it's gotten very heated on, on how do you, if you have insurance that is based on a a very, very specific location and all the risks that are, you know, the car that's sitting in this driveway right now, what's its risk versus it's sitting three blocks over, it's going to be different because of all the information that's out there and you know if you I don't know I mean you're gonna to have to start turning off certain levels of granularity to avoid redlining and those sorts of things um, but that sort of goes away from the whole idea of assigning risk for a very for as specific as possible so it's uh, you know I know at the discussion at uh, NEIC there was not a conclusion um, because both seem to, both people seem to have a, have the law on their side, but they're, because you are assigning risk um, to a very specific location, the more you make it more specific, it's hard to really spread that risk load across a greater group of people is, yeah, it's, it's, there's not a good answer for that. I think um, the key thing when you look at AI to generate um, risk models is you have to be able to answer. It's not just a black box that said, this is what the number is. It's how was this generated? Uh, it's good at finding relationships in underlying structures, but then use that to build your models. Don't let them just spit out some black box. Oh, AI said, this is what we should use and we should use it. But so you have to know, okay, it looked at these factors. These factors generate this risk score and I can tie it all together. And those risk factors came from, unbiased data, so we're good. Um, It's still going to take some interpretation from actuaries. I know there's been some discussions, oh, AI is going to replace all actuaries. You still need to have professional people look at this and understand that this data came from these sources. It still fits within the current regulations as they're written. Um, And all these things are updating all the time, so you really need someone that's well-connected and and up on all the regulations and and how that fits with the insurance that you're selling. So, um,
1: yeah, no, I, I think that makes, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you're right. There's no, there's no easy answer, <laughs> um, and, um, and, and that's where, that's what I walked away with from in this conversation as well. You know, in the conversations that I've heard, um, there, there just is never um, an easy answer for that. But, uh, but you know, there. Hopefully, over time, we can figure out how to at least uh, begin to better mitigate that from playing in. So, so hey, Nick, you know, I, I, I want to switch gears, right? Because as I, um, see what's, uh, playing out in the, in the insurance industry, you know, there's this, this mystical thing, right? That, that we're, that we call digital transformation. And it's not just in insurance. It's, it's everywhere. And, Everyone is going through it even more so than this time last year. Um, it's real. It's here. Um, and then a lot of organizations are saying that it's hard. Now, while there are some companies that I've been speaking to, especially larger carriers that's using severely legacy platforms, um, that's been somewhat struggling with this, you know, one of the things that I hear more of is that, you know, there's organizations that's out there that can help them on the technology side. But of course, the, a lot of the biggest structure, um, struggle is, um, the, the the challenges that they're facing on the company culture side, and trying to bring everybody along to, uh, you know, uh, becoming on the, the, the coming along with with the digital transformation that that might be playing out. So I I wonder, you know, I know Microsoft again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, provides a lot of the necessary tools and and capabilities, um, at least at the, the the foundational level, to help companies get there. Um, but as you all are engaging and working and partnering closely with these organizations, are you doing anything to also help the flip side of the digital and uh, the digital transformation coin um, with those organizations? And that, and that's the cultural piece.
0: Yeah, I, there's, there's lots of different options. And I've been in several large insurance companies that have sort of a different mindset. You know, one was, only going to move when they they had to and uh, were really sort of dragged their feet. And other ones were like, we're going to go cloud everything from an actual calculation perspective and just keep adding to that. So making sure that everything from the admin system to all the projection systems, everything that was running on an externally hosted environment was now going to be in the cloud. So it, and that's where I think from a <sighs> It, it it always bothers me because people are like oh the, oh the cloud is so scary. I'm, and it's like okay, everything you're running on your system is externally hosted by some other company in some data center somewhere else. So that data center is now going to be a different data center. That's quote unquote the cloud. So it's um, that part. I mean, there's that whole sort of uh, structure as a system. Sort of just put every just lift and shift everything to the cloud. Um, that's in certain ways the least painful way, um, and we have tools to make that easier, for example, Azure Stack allows you to have everything run exactly the same way on your on-prem and mirror it in the cloud, and then you can and then you can view all the benefits of being in the cloud and on-prem with the exact same interacting the same software, the same everything that you interact with. On that on-prem environment as the cloud, and they they mirror each other, and then uh, ideally we'll go away completely with anything that's on-premises. But there's still um, people that are fighting this sort of data security issue and um, want to have things. They think things are safer on-prem. That always sort of again from a personal perspective, um, my job at uh, Manual Life was uh, was to get rid of. Uh, all their on-prem grid compute uh, for their actual uh, software, and move everything to the cloud. So it was just, it was just amazing to see how much they were spending to hold um, these big server farms up that were only running, you know, for their quarterly or monthly runs, and they were spending all this money. I was like, well, if you move it to the cloud, you can only only just spin it up when you need it, and you can scale up and scale down. It's it, it was just a huge money save for the company, and it was again, it was on-premises but externally hosted with a, a different part of the company so it's um, it was just moving these contract workers that were managing all these farms to put it on the cloud and they could still do their their work but the the physical hardware was now all in the cloud and scaled up and scaled down as needed so there are a lot of things to make it really easy and that's sort of just the, the baseline i mean there's a lot of things that as you're in the cloud you can start Doing so much more um, that you can't do on prem. So it's the on-premises to the cloud. We try to make that as simple as possible. Um, just sort of a lift and shift can work, but the real power in the cloud is beyond that, where you can use, you know, software as a service. So instead of having, you know, managing, spinning up a machine, bringing it back down, moving data back and forth, you just log into your. Uh, modeling system, it does all that stuff behind the scenes. It manages how many cores are running. You tell it how long you want to run. You know, I need this by tomorrow. Okay, it does the optimal way to do that. either the number of cores and locations. Any restrictions on where um, that data can move, where things can work, it can manage that for you. So that's where things are going. So the whole sort of um, serverless cloud environment where you don't have to manage, okay, I got these 50 VMs. You don't have to manage any of that, how much storage. It's all done for you. It kind of keeps you at arm's length. Um, you know, as I'm talking to people um, about the future of technology, there's either two things are going to happen. Either IT is going to go away or we're all going to become IT or somewhere in between. So it's not like, it's not like oh, this IT guy spun up. this. like I'm going to use this application and it's going to do this stuff for me. Um, and it's going to optimally pick you know what servers to run how much storage and it's just going to make that interaction if i run it from my phone from my notepad from my laptop um at my office on the beach whatever it's it's all seamless it's omni-channel i don't have to manage oh it's this much you know i'm gonna this chipset or this storage it's all sort of at a distance so um really everything as a service so i just pay for what i need when i need it um you know and people are getting used to that of all ages from all demographics. They get used to that on their phone. Um, and they're expecting that same type of behavior with everything they do, uh, from the technology, different technology stacks. And I mean, that's where things are going. Um, and it's all sorts of new stuff too. It's, uh, um, we just had a a big at Microsoft had a big, uh, event that showcased some of the new technologies that are coming out and some of the things with, um, augmented reality and everything from gaming all the way across our full technology stack. So there's a lot of things that are coming to uh, really get people excited about using the cloud and different tools. But uh, back to your point on, um, you know, people being resistant to change and moving to new technologies. I, I think that's, actually, that's changing over time. Um, and people, because of the phone, um, it seems like every week there's a new update, there's a new this, there's a new that, the, the the icons change. There's there's things that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, if you logged on to your desktop, you would expect it always looked the same. Every every button was the same color. You know, the screen was, the files were in the same place. But think about things in your cell phone, you just got an update and this shifted over that's different today. And people have gotten used to that because like, oh, they can adapt to that functionality. And I think that same sort of mindset has sort of creeped into um, how they do business as well. It's like, okay, this is a tool. um, This is what I need to go from point A to point B and get these things done. Um, And that could change as I'm using it and evolve over time. But it's still a tool that I'm using that I'm familiar with and and comfortable with. But um, it doesn't have to be completely rigid all the way through my uh, career. It's something that's evolving and advancing throughout time.
1: Hey, Nick, um, you know, uh, one of the questions that I continue to ask, right, you know, especially as folks are listening to um, folks like myself and you speak uh, about um, topics like this is it it really is about, um, you know, uh, changing cultures in their organization and, and really, you know, bringing a spirit of innovation to their enterprises. So, you know, what advice would you give to anyone out there that's listening to this podcast in order to change their organizational culture and, you know, just go beyond the status quo? I think it's important to sort
0: of do your best is to stay on top of um, new technology and let people know that's what's out there. If you see something that's really interesting on Twitter or on YouTube don't get people excited about it. There's, um, even if it's, you know, tangential to your industry, um, that's where the change is happening. It's where, um, it may be in banking. It may be in manufacturing. Um, you know, one of the things I've been very involved with is, you know, how IOT sensors, um, impact insurance companies and, um, and get different risk scores for all sorts of different things. Um, that's really and historically has been taken off on you know for example in manufacturing because so i think every single plant every machine that's running on a um you know producing gas or oil or in a factory it has sensors that say how hot it's running what it's doing so it's capturing all this environmental information for the entire plant and everything connected to it and power systems and it's just immense amount of data that's currently coming in that's living on the the edge which is a sort of a a sort of a separate cloud that kind of captures all that information that we can communicate back and forth and it's it's everywhere now um and can so that's what you know manufacturing smart cities smart homes all that information's out there how can we leverage that so um being aware of all these things that are out there in the environment um, that different industries are using to make their processes work better you know what can they tell us about uh, what we're insuring, who we're insuring. Um, it's just fantastic. And I think that how we pull that information in and get people excited about how to use it, um, that, that's what really gets me excited about insurance is like, you know, this isn't, you know, some stodgy book. This is, we are looking at how we can make our customers um, be, you know, happier, healthier, uh, reduce their risk of flood fire etc and we have all these tools that are now available and more are coming online and there's just so much information out there how can we use it uh to make a difference for our customers so that's the part that i think is really exciting and i think insurance companies are are looking at that from a firstly to make sure they're they're meeting the needs of their customers and they can build uh, develop better products too so it's really um it's a really a win-win for everyone. So, um, yeah, I and mean, the things we talked about earlier, it's key that as you are capturing that information, you think about how that fits in with the current regulations. Um, and there's certain things that affect pricing, but it's not all about, insurance. It's really, how do you take care of your customer too? So it's, there's information that these third party people can help, you know, with their employees, with their, um, your customer, your, the the quality of your, your house and air quality, et cetera, things that, um, affect overall risk, but really can in real time, uh, make a difference to, uh, improve the life of your customers, you know, both commercial and, uh, and personal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, again, I'm very excited about it. As you can probably tell that this is something that as we get that information and in, we pull it together, we can build, um, better solutions for, uh, our customers and, uh, our my in our case, our customers, customers, um, to really benefit everyone.
1: Absolutely. Well, hey, Nick, you know, it is always a pleasure, um, you know, catching up with you and getting you back on the podcast to talk about all of the things that's been playing out in this space. And, and also the changes, of course, that that you've been seeing and um, that changes over at um, your group or at Microsoft. You know, if, if anyone um, wants to uh, hear more, learn more or talk to you or someone in your team, um, how can we get that information to them to access you?
0: Okay, I'm... I try to stay very active on LinkedIn, so that's probably the easiest way to connect to me. Um, uh, Nick Limer, I think I'm the only one out there uh, at Microsoft for sure. Um, And I'm also on Twitter on uh, limer.nick. I'll respond to those inquiries as well. Um, And then directly at Microsoft uh, to my email, which is uh, N I, which is my first two initials of my first name, and then Limer, L E I M E R, at Microsoft.com.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, Nick, once again, thank you. This was a great conversation and I'm looking forward to when we get connected again. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button to get every episode that's new each week. And if you're getting a lot of value out of this podcast, don't forget to share it on social media. Tag me and tell me how much you're enjoying it and the value that you're getting out of this. I mean, also shoot it over to your friends and colleagues so they can get a lot of value out of the podcast too. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.